Welcome back to Brain Chatter, where we listen past the daily noise and explore topics at the intersection of leadership, workplace culture, profit, and sustainability. This podcast is produced by Ken Chapman and Associates Incorporated, and I'm your host, Derek Brown. To see episode notes and to read more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit brainchatterpodcast.com. Today's episode is Safety Beyond the Numbers, and our guest is Tony Orlowski. Tony's here to discuss the new book by the same name, Safety Beyond the Numbers, authored by he and Dr. Ken Chapman. This is Tony's second interview on Brain Chatter. You may recall he was also the guest on episode three. Welcome back to Brain Chatter, Tony. Thanks, Derek. I'm very glad to be here. Let's start with an overview of the book. How do you summarize what it's about and how did you come up with the title of the book? Well, in its most basic form, the the book's about achieving safety excellence in your organization by seeing compliance not as your goal, but as the base minimum that you should do. And to do that, most leaders are going to have to step back and reconsider many of the things that they might have accepted as true for their entire career. But really, they're just the result of uh, their unexamined viewpoints on safety. And that's something that Ken Chapman might call received wisdom. Say a little bit more about that, if you don't mind, when you say received wisdom, how does that apply in this case? Well, uh, received wisdom is, is those things that's just generally accepted. You know, everybody knows it's true. And so, you know, people accept it without uh, examining it. And but it turns out it, it really isn't. Received wisdom are those things that uh, we just accept. We really haven't considered if, if they're true. So then how did that lead you to the title of the book? Well, you know, as for the title, uh, you know, we had several different working titles during different stages of the book, but we settled on safety beyond the numbers because it really gets to the point pretty quickly. And and the point is this, is that compliance is safety by the numbers. And I don't know if you ever did any of those paint by number pictures when you were a kid uh, like I did. But if you if you have, you know, you know that you don't know have to have to know how to paint uh, or draw to do those. You don't have to have artistic talent or even much motivation to create something that looks really pretty much like it's supposed to. Uh, somebody else has already done that work for you, and all you have to do is follow their instructions. Um, and at first, it seems like it's a great way to accomplish more than you would uh, you be able to on your own. But in the end, it really is just uh, a type of uh, intellectual laziness. It's a low bar and more of a path to mediocrity, and it never really leads to excellence. And so that may be OK for, for your efforts in, in the artistic world, but it's certainly not an acceptable approach for your responsibilities and safety. Yet, you know, that's often the, the very goal that leaders set for their organizations. I think it's important that we remember that that laws and this includes compliance laws as well. They've always been put in place, you know, not to guide the highest end of human behavior, but to control and limit the the very lowest end. So in in spite of this, and everyone intuitively understands that in spite of that, uh, a lot of organizations still think that it's the only arrow they need to have in their safety quiver. And and that really uh, is, is kind of tragic. Because safety in the end isn't about numbers, it's about people. Where did the idea for this book originate? Is this something that you've really given thought to uh, writing for years, or is this more of a recent idea that you've had? Well, it's actually taken years to write, so that that question really kind of hits home. 
Dr. Chapman and I have been working together for some time, the organizations that I'm responsible for right now. But in the course of that, you know, we would spend several hours discussing safety in industrial settings and in general and, and what drives the safety performance. And so I think we've really both been kind of writing this book in our heads for a lot of years over our careers. You know, of course, Dr. Chapman's already written several books about the subject and, and much of his career is, is focused on this. Safety has been a big part of my career as well. I've spent time trying to make sense of, you know, the, the experiences that I've had over the several decades that I've been doing this. And, and so our conversations that we would have have been very helpful to me uh, to understand those experiences a little bit better. So. Based on those, some of those discussions, uh, we decided we were going to write an article. It was actually a, a two-series article for my industry's trade magazine. We thought it was some things that leaders in my industry needed to see. But it turned out there was so much more to say. So we ended up expanding on that into what we believe now is a, a fairly comprehensive discussion of what today's leaders need to know about building a truly effective safety program. When you think about who the primary audience or audiences for this book are going to be, what, can you describe the profile of that audience as far as career field, position, years in their career? Is this something that someone who's maybe just been promoted and put in the position of a safety manager ought to be reading? Or is this what uh, an executive ought to be reading or somebody in between? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. And the uh, now, I want to say I don't want to discourage or exclude anyone from reading this book. If you're interested in it, then it's for you. And I, and I feel it's, it's important that it'll change lives and, and save lives. And if you're inclined to read it, then absolutely you should do that. Um, and it's not just for heavy industrial either. Uh, safety is an issue almost in every workplace in you know, healthcare, logistics, most fields touch on human safety, even if normally we don't associate that with those fields. I also want to make this point. You know, it's a book that's going to grow with you as you grow in your career. So you talked about what stage in your career. You know, I like to think that you'll be able to read it for the first time many times over uh, during your career. So what I mean by that is when you're starting out, say, in frontline production, um, there's a tremendous amount of good it can do for you personally and for the people that you work around uh, in that setting. And then maybe in a few years, you, you become a supervisor and you're responsible for leading a few of those people that you used to work with. If you read the book again, I think it's going to seem like a different book then. Uh, there'll be things in it that you didn't notice before that'll help you in your, in your current situation. And then I think the same thing will apply when you eventually become a manager so that the book will grow with you and hopefully uh, it'll present new learnings to you each time you read it. Well, I know you're personally a pretty voracious reader. How have you applied the usefulness of books that you've read over the years in doing the best you can to make this practical? Well, I think what I found, you know, when I what I learn best from books that I read is that that I can relate to them. I can relate my experiences to what they're they're writing about. So, uh, when we wrote this book, uh, we tried to give a uh, a lot of examples so that people uh, could make the connection pretty quickly and, and uh, clearly uh, between what they're likely to see every day in their jobs and the information that we're presenting. If you had to sum up how your personal philosophy has guided the creation of the book, how would you describe that? What I've realized, while I've often sought out peace and comfort, and, and by that I mean relief from whatever was causing me discomfort or tension, and you know I just wanted to, to get some relief. I've never actually profited from that. 
when I look at the things that I value most in my life, I, I see that they're almost all fairly dearly bought through hard work and discomfort and, and you know, even pain sometimes. So and, and to the point that you know, there's some situations that were thrust on me that I would never have chosen them myself. Uh, but they turned out to be some of the most valuable experiences I've had. So in contrast, I can't really think of anything of value I gained when I did manage to make things comfortable for myself. So I would say what I've learned is that life isn't easy. And further and probably more important is that it's not supposed to be easy. When you try to set it up to be that way, you end up cutting out most of what life has to offer. As a bonus, it usually ends up being even harder than it would have been otherwise. That philosophy kind of flows through the book. This goes to the heart of our logo, Pi Mu, which you can see on the on the cover of our book. Uh, it stands for the Greek Hathiai Mathos, which means translated roughly wisdom through suffering. From the uh, ancient Greek play Agamemnon, to give a quick summary, in that play, the Greek god Zeus gives mankind a great gift. It's the gift of wisdom so that he could make good decisions for himself without needing outside or divine guidance. But like in most fables, it was a gift with a catch. The, the wisdom was endowed through painful experience. By the way, you got the gift whether you wanted it or not. So I know this is a difficult metric, but if you were to be able to measure the impact that safety beyond the numbers will have on its readers in the years to come, or if you could just describe it in general terms, what would that look like? Well, um, you know, I personally believe that that most worthwhile ideas don't just lie dormant for thousands of years before somebody comes along who's finally smart enough to, to think of them. Uh, I think that good ideas emerge when times change and the situation becomes right for them. And so in saying that, what I'm saying is that I think the time is right for these ideas in, in this book. Uh, workplace safety has gone through a lot of phases uh, over the, you know, the last couple hundred years, and it's constantly gotten better through those phases. But it can get even better, much better, and I think at least somewhat through the ideas that are presented in this book. So my desire for the impact of the book uh, over the coming years is that it gives people the skills that are demanded by the modern workplace to be safe and successful. And I think these are skills they intuitively know that they need, but maybe they can't quite verbalize them. So my hope is that this drives a change and it'll benefit people for many years until maybe things change significant, significantly again and a, a different mix of, of uh, approaches are needed. That sort of ties into the next question pretty well. We know, of course, that an author of a book like this, where you hope there's an impact, hopes that the book has the impact on the reader, of course, but they also hope that there's a second level impact on those who work with and interact with the person who was the reader. So in other words, that something different happens in the way that the reader behaves, interacts, and leads after reading a book like this, and that the change impacts those who may never even know about the book or, or that the book was the cause of that change. So what's the second level impact goal for this book? Yeah, Derek, that's a, a very insightful question. Um, and I appreciate it because I often think about that concept personally. For example, I, I like to think about I, I, the fact that I never knew my great grandparents, but I've always wondered if some of who they were is is who I am today. You know, if some of the virtues 
that they had were passed on to their children and then they to theirs and then to me. So that in a way, I'm in some part, you know, the walking embodiment of, of what was best in them and, and their spirit can live on in a positive way that way. I think about that concept uh, quite a lot, and I hope this book has a, a similar secondary impact. Where it comes from is, doesn't really have to be recognized. Um, you know, if the book is effective, then the reader is going to be a different person after reading it. Uh, they're going to be a, a different leader. They'll be changed in some way. And if they're different, then absolutely the people that they interact with on a daily basis are going to be affected too. And then you might ask, well, how might that be? How, how might they be affected? And I think I think what the the people that are secondarily impacted will find is that they have a very strong conviction in the workplace that they're valued and that they understand the value that they bring to the organization. You know, they'll they'll see that they've been gr- given the green light to take ownership of their jobs and and I think that'll greatly enhance their sense of personal fulfillment. And I want you to notice I didn't say take ownership of their safety. I said take ownership of their jobs. Now, they will take ownership of their safety, but they'll also take ownership of all the other important aspects of their jobs. I I don't think people always appreciate this, but I found that it's very difficult for someone to carve out one of their responsibilities and act differently toward it than the others. For example, if you had responsibilities for being safe and for doing quality work and being efficient and finding ways to add more value, it would be very hard to carve out safety and do that well. and then not take responsibility for the other important parts of of your job. So being a whole person who cares about things that matter is much better than being several different people at the same time. So it's going to impact their entire jobs. And I would add one more thing. You you talked about a second layer impact. I think there's probably a third layer impact as well, because interacting with people in the ways that we talk about in this book I often get the feedback. Those folks tend to come back and say, you know, it's made a difference in their relationships at home with their family and friends. So the impacts of the book can be very uh, far reaching and it's very gratifying. Without providing any spoilers, can you describe part of the book that makes it stand out from other books? My general experience has been that nonfiction books that are about important subjects tend to fall into one of two categories. Either they're overly technical and hard to read, or they're more fluff than substance. So the first, in my opinion, is infinitely better than than the latter. But many people give up and don't make the effort to get what they could out of a highly technical book. They they miss a good opportunity to, to get better. And my hope is that this book is different in that it's not only has a lot of depth and substance on on safety, which is a very important subject, but also that it's extremely readable and engaging and the folks that can benefit from it for the most part do because they they stick with it and and they and they get through it. You and Dr. Chapman wrote this book together from your 80 plus years of combined work experience in heavy industry and manufacturing settings. And you've already mentioned this is a book that's applicable beyond those settings. But there's a lot of overlap in your experiences and a lot that is very different from your work experiences. Can you describe how you leveraged this diversity of career paths and experiences in writing Safety Beyond the Numbers? Sure. And uh, I don't want to speak for Dr. Chapman, but I think it's fairly safe to say that both of us would 
categorize our, our careers as uh, having struggled to constantly push the boundaries of our understanding of, of what we do, specifically in the area of workplace safety. We've both been doing this uh, over several decades, but from different perspectives. His primarily from the perspective of human behavior and mine from the day-to-day -day operational leadership. So I, I kind of see this visually. If you can imagine you see in your mind's eye, two observers looking at the same thing, but say they're roughly 120 degrees apart from each other, but each of them are expanding the boundaries of their understanding toward the subject until those understandings intersect and begin to overlap. And if you can visualize that, you can kind of see how you might be able to create an almost complete 360 degree perspective of the subject. And in our discussions that we talked about earlier, you know, we've come to understand and appreciate the other's perspective. So now we're able to walk around an issue, so to speak, that 360 degrees and see how it looks from almost any angle or any perspective. And it, it does look different from each one, but we're still able to recognize it for the singular thing that it is. So there's a tremendous value in being able to do that, uh, being able to walk around an issue and, and recognize it from all of its angles. And, and I think we did a good job of, of sharing those varied perspectives with the reader so they can do the same thing. Well, we're already over halfway through this interview, but uh, let me go ahead and pause and do an introduction of you for anyone who's maybe not familiar with your background, and then I'll ask you the last several questions. Tony Orlowski serves as Executive Vice President of the Plumbing Group of McWayne Incorporated. The division he leads has operations in Texas, California, Missouri, and in India. He has worked in manufacturing his entire career, starting as an intern in the mid-1990s. He holds three degrees from the University of Tennessee, a bachelor's in civil engineering, a master's in geotechnical engineering, and an MBA. He is also a licensed professional engineer. He has authored a number of articles in technical and industry journals, including Modern Casting Magazine and the Journal of Geotechnical Engineering. He and his wife, Kim, have five sons. Have I missed anything you would like to add, Tony? No, that's uh, that's it. And, um, you know, listening to that, some of those things seem like they were a very long time ago now, but they they all contributed to who I am today. So I appreciate you reminding me of them. Absolutely. Let me turn the last part of our conversation toward how you're utilizing the book and its material. So if you will talk about the seminar series that's upcoming and how that fits in with the book and your goals for the content. Sure. So. Reading something certainly can make a significant impact on a person. Uh, and as I've mentioned before, our goal is that people grow or change after reading this book. But personal change is never easy, and it's much easier when it's reinforced with the experience, uh, with, with actual physical experiences and human interaction. So after reading the book, most people are still going to have some questions, and most are going to be unsure about some of the things that they read. So in the seminar, we'll be able to answer those questions. Uh, we'll also they'll be exposed to questions that others have that they might not have considered uh, and wondered about. And then we'll also be able to affirm them in their understandings of, of what it means to be a good leader. Is the seminar then for someone who has already read the book prior to arriving or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a prerequisite for being accepted into the seminar. We would just have to do way too much time going over basic information and concepts uh, without having read the book first for the seminar to be effective. 
say a little bit more about the target audience for this seminar. Yeah, it's it's really for organizational leaders. Uh, and by that, I mean those who have the ability to affect change within their companies. And if you remember, I said earlier, anybody who's interested in the book will benefit from it and they should they should get it and read it. But the seminar is a little different. We'll be talking about what it takes to build a culture of safety excellence. And without the authority to actually drive those changes, uh, I think someone who attended might become discouraged and having some knowledge that they really can't do anything with. So people with decision authority are the ones who this seminar is built for. But I'd, I'd add one exception to that, and that's that uh, it also might be helpful if that leader brings uh, some of their key personnel who would be critical in making those changes happen, even if they don't have that authority themselves, because it'll be invaluable having those folks on the same page with the leader. That makes sense. How will you measure success for the seminars as you evaluate them after you've completed them? Yeah, that's that, that can be kind of tricky. In the book, we talk about the process of learning from mistakes. and you know when someone has learned from their mistakes because they become noticeably a different person. And you might have had this experience, but you can't always specifically put your finger on it. But you know, for example, when a person has genuinely owned their mistake, you know by their words and their demeanor, and, and, and you know that you don't have to worry about them making that mistake again because essentially they're not the same person who made it in the first place. So I think it's going to be the same way uh, we measure the success of our seminar. I think we'll know who's been impacted and changed by how they act. And in addition, we'll also ask them to keep in contact with us and let us know about their successes and, and maybe even their struggles. So if we don't get that confidence and that feedback after the, uh, after the seminar, then, then obviously, you know, we'll realize that we'll have to reconsider how we're approaching it, but that's going to be the measure. What have I not asked you about either the book or the seminars that you would like to add Derek, as always, you've done a great job in your questions. You, you reminded me of things that I didn't even realize I had to say, so thank you. But if there's, there's one final point I'd like to make uh, sure I hit, it's for leaders who might be on the fence about whether or not this is something worth their time, I'd like to make the argument that it is. You know, compliance is a very comfortable default. It demands some specific but limited things of you. And when you fulfill those things, you're done. And that's nice. But ownership and the moral approach to safety are different. The demands for that are just as real, but they're hidden in the lives of the people and the families who haven't been injured yet. So it's they're very hard to see. And the outside pressure to manage safety from an ownership perspective, the pressure is not so direct. And the motivation really has to be internal. It's, it's not external at all. So all those factors make make this approach very easy to to choose to ignore. And, and again, the rewards of managing safety through ownership and the moral component can can sometimes be hard to grasp because the people who benefit most may never know who they are, and, and you won't either. You know, there, there, you won't have a spouse or a child of an employee come and thank you for saving their family member's life, even when you have, because they just won't know it. But the hidden nature of these things doesn't, in, in the least, negate their value. So what I'm really saying is that, you know, you can choose as a leader to only do what's required of you or you can choose to do what's right. And there's never a substitute for doing what's right. Absolutely. And what a wonderful way to close. Thank you for your time and insights on the podcast, Tony. 
For the convenience of those listening, we're going to post a link to the Safety Beyond the Numbers website, safepath.solutions. At that web address, anyone interested can click on a link to buy the book, contact you, or get more information about the upcoming seminars. I'll also include a link to your LinkedIn account for anyone who wishes to contact you. You'll find all of that in the full episode notes at brainchatterpodcast.com. Is there anything else you'd like me to include in the show notes? No. Thank you, Derek. I've, I've really enjoyed it, too. Brain Chatter is a production of Ken Chapman and Associates Incorporated. We assist clients across North America and beyond with leadership development, corporate culture transformation initiatives, behavior-based professional development for health and safety issues, individual and team assessments, conflict and performance management, succession planning, and team building, making a difference in organizations and individuals' lives for over 40 years. Learn more at leaderscode.com. Thank you for your time.